I'm losing things this morning. (laughs) Well, January is here, and January is a time of recalibration, a time of evaluation and planning, of setting new goals, and of turning over new leaves. Businesses often recalibrate their performance in January. The last year is reviewed, inventory is taken, revised goals and strategies are implemented to help refocus employees for optimum efficiency and success. Budgets are tweaked and plans are put in place for the new year that lies ahead. Individuals also often use January as a time of recalibration, A trip to one's family physician is booked to obtain a snapshot of overall health and address any concerns. Gyms and weight loss programs swell with new members who have resolved, at least momentarily, to do something about the extra pounds that latched on for a ride over the past year. I don't know about you, but a few of those found me. Planned recalibrations are made from everything from reducing or paying off the balance owing on the credit cards to controlling one's temper to spending more time with family and friends. January is also a good time for recalibration in the most important arena of our lives, our relationship with God. January is a good time for spiritual recalibration. One of the phrases the Bible uses to describe spiritual recalibration is turning to God. Turning to God. Deuteronomy 30.10 says, For the Lord will again take delight in prospering you as he took delight in your fathers when you obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes that are written in the book of the law when you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul. Well, what does it mean to turn to the Lord or to turn to God? We're going to explore this question today by looking at the life of an individual whom the Bible says excelled in turning to God, who excelled in spiritual recalibration. His name, Josiah, king of Judah. Josiah was king of Judah from 640 to 609 BC. He became king when he was just eight years old, ripe old age, right? In 2 Kings 23, 25, we read this of Josiah. Before him, there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his might, according to all the law of Moses, nor did any like him arise after him. The term turn to the Lord is a common phrase within the Old Testament. The most common Hebrew word for turn is the word shuv. Most commonly, shuv refers to changing course or direction or returning from a journey or location. But shuv can be used metaphorically to connote repentance as turning away from the wrong path. Used metaphorically, shuv connotes changing one's orientation to God. This reorientation can be either positive, in other words, turning away from sin and to God, or it can be negative, turning away from God and 
to sin. In the Old Testament, Israel's relationship with God is conceived as a kind of journey with obedience depicted as Israel walking toward or with God. The covenant relationship is understood as walking in obedience to Yahweh. When one sins or turns away from God, this is understood as heading in the wrong direction. The individual or community must then turn back toward God. Repentance, however, is not just a change in direction in terms of action, but also a change in the orientation of the heart that results from an acknowledgement and regret over wrongdoing. When the Hebrew prophets proclaimed impending destruction as a result of Israel's sinful behavior, the prophets called for repentance. If the people would turn, shuv, from their wrongdoing, they could receive forgiveness and thus avoid disaster. However, as the prophets testify, Israel, much like us, oftentimes continually refused to turn back to God and suffered the consequences. Well, what was the spiritual state of God's people when Josiah came to the throne? Josiah came to the throne after a long line of kings who for the most part turned away from God. The spiritual state of God's people had come to an all-time low with the reign of Josiah's grandfather, King Manasseh. Manasseh reinstituted, reinstituted sorry, idolatrous worship throughout the land. This included altars of worship to Baal, Asherah, and other foreign gods in the temple itself. Manasseh also practiced sorcery, divination, consulted mediums and spiritists. He murdered many innocent people, and he even sacrificed his own sons in fires of worship to false foreign gods. By the time that Manasseh's grandson, Josiah, came to the throne, the temple was in significant disrepair. It wasn't even being used. The book of the law had been lost, and most of the people had become entrenched in worshiping other gods. Now, remember that we said that the word shuv, to turn, can be used metaphorically, either positively or negatively. In the case of King Josiah, shuv is used to speak positively of him turning away from sin and to God. Well, what did turning to God specifically entail in King Josiah's life? And what can we learn from his example? I want to mention three things. First, Josiah demonstrated a heart that was turned to God through zeal for corporate worship. Josiah demonstrated this zeal by ordering that the temple be repaired and that the worship of Yahweh be reinstated. In verse 3, we read, In the 18th year of King Josiah, the king sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, son of Meshulam, the secretary to the house of the Lord, saying, Go up to Hilkiah, the high priest, that he may count the money that has been brought into the house of the Lord, which the keepers of the threshold have collected from the people, and let it be given into the hand of the workmen who have the oversight of the house of the Lord, and let them give it to the workmen who are at the house of the Lord, repairing the house. That is, to the carpenters and to the builders and to the masons. And let them use it for buying timber and quarried stone to repair the house. But no accounting shall be asked from them for the money that is delivered into their hand, for they deal honestly. 
Josiah had somehow come to understand the importance of corporate worship and knew from stories passed down to him through some of his ancestors the importance of worshiping God. He made the cleaning, the repair, and the restoration of the temple a priority. We also know that Josiah had a zeal for corporate worship because he reinstituted the Passover festival, an important annual festival God had commanded the Israelites to observe as they remembered the miraculous deliverance of their ancestors from Egyptian bondage. In chapter 23, verse 21, we read, and the king commanded all the people, keep the Passover to the Lord your God as it is written in the book of the covenant for no such Passover had been kept since the days of the judges who judged Israel or during all the days of the kings of Israel or of the kings of Judah. But in the 18th year of King Josiah, this Passover was kept to the Lord in Jerusalem. The reinstitution of the Passover in a public format was revolutionary. This was the first centralized celebration of the Passover since the time of the judges in Israel. With the exception of a single large Passover celebration initiated by King Hezekiah, the Passover had basically remained a family rite from the time of the judges until Josiah's policy change. I need to give you a warning now. There's some potentially uncomfortable questions ahead. Let's get a little personal. Does your zeal for corporate worship evidence a heart toward God? For you, is corporate worship a passion or an optional activity to be engaged in if you have time for it? Are you regularly present in corporate worship because you love God and you want to declare his praise with his people, Christ Church? Or... Does your frequency of attendance in attending corporate worship fit the mold of those Christians mentioned in Hebrews, those who fail to regularly assemble together? God says through the writer of Hebrews, don't do that. Don't turn away from God by failing to regularly show up for corporate worship. Another question, do you enter into wholeheart, or do you enter wholeheartedly into worship? Or do you stand or sit as a spectator like a consumer in a performance? You say, can't, um, sorry, um, I can't sing. You know what? It doesn't matter. The Bible commands us to worship God in song, regardless of how well or not we can carry a tune. A noise that comes from the heart will be received as the most beautiful offering in the ears of the real audience in worship, God. Are you on time for worship gatherings because you don't want to miss ministering to God in the assembly? Or are you habitually late? Is your mindset that as long as you arrive in time for the sermon, that you've done your duty and arrived for the good stuff? Ouch. Brothers and sisters, I say to you that the good stuff begins at 9 a.m. Or if you come to the second service, it begins at 1045 a.m. Every Sunday at the very start of our gathering. God longs for us, his people, to worship him together as a family. Far too often, our actions such as habitual tardiness to corporate worship evidence self-centered hearts focused upon what we can get rather than on what we can give to God and Christ's body. Well, whatever your specific responses to those, uh, these potentially uncomfortable questions that I've just asked ask us, God says to you today, turn to me. 
Well, Josiah demonstrated a heart turned to God through his zeal for corporate worship. He also evidenced a heart turned toward God through his reverence for God's word. We learn in the narrative that while the temple was being repaired, the book of the law, that would be for us the Bible, okay, uh, but just the Old Testament at that time, the book of the law, which had been lost, was discovered by the workmen. Listen to what, what it says. And Hilkiah, the high priest, said to Shaphan, the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and he read it. Then Shaphan, the secretary, told the king, Hilkiah, the priest, has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. Now listen to this. Listen to Josiah's response. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes And the king commanded Hilkiah the priest and Ahikam the son of Shaphan and Achbor the son of Micaiah and Shaphan the secretary and Asiah the king's servant saying, go inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written in it. When Josiah heard God's word read, he did something drastic. He tore his robes and wept. This was the king. In Bible times, ripping your clothes was a sign of extreme grief and distress. This practice always marked a tragic situation like death, shock, or extreme shame. Tearing one's clothes was also sacrificial as clothes were relatively much more expensive than they are today. Ripping your clothes was a way of showing that status and respect mattered little in light of the tragic circumstances at hand. God's word cut Josiah to the quick. He knew immediately that he was a man of unclean lips and lived among a people of unclean lips. He feared God's judgment upon himself and the people. Well, what did Josiah do next? He sent the priests and other officials to go and inquire of the Lord for himself and all the people he was saying this, he was saying this in our in modern day, this is a Kent paraphrase. Guys, we've blown it big time. Go and ask God what's going to happen to us. Go and ask him what we are to do. Well, the priests and the officials went to inquire of the Lord through a prophetess of the Lord named Huldah. Remember in those times, the Holy Spirit didn't dwell inside believers as he does us today. The children of God had to rely upon individuals upon whom the Holy Spirit would rest to hear direction from God. In verse 15, we read Huldah's response. And I'm, I actually, I'm just going to paraphrase this because our time is short today. Basically, Huldah says this. She said, you know what? Guys, it's too late. The people have so consistently refused God. They've been so stubborn for God for so long. He's given chance after chance after chance after chance. The chances have run out. Judgment is not going to be averted. Judah is going to fall. You're going to be taken into captivity. But she says something else. She says, but tell the king this. Because the king, when he heard the words of the law, wept in my presence, because his heart was soft, because, because he was torn apart by what he heard, tell him that he will not end up in captivity. He will die and be taken to his, um, taken to be with his, his, uh, his ancestors. God was saying, um, 
that they, that they had messed up for so long that grace had run out, that judgment would come. But Josiah was going to miss this. In fact, Josiah, um, he didn't just respond with reverence in his response when he heard the word. Listen to what else he did. Then the king sent and all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem were gathered to him. And the king went up to the house of the Lord and with him all the men of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the priests and the prophets, all the people, both small and great. And Josiah read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant that had been found in the house of the Lord. And the king stood by the pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul to perform the words of the covenant that were written in the book. And all the people joined in the covenant. Even though he heard the word from God that judgment was not going to be averted, he still said, God, we're going to follow you. We're going to obey you. We're going to, to, to walk in covenant with you. What about you? What about me? Does your reverence for God's word indicate a heart turned toward God like Josiah's? Are you hungry for God's word? Do you regularly feed on God's word? Is your mindset that you can't live without it? Like Josiah, do you believe that the Bible contains God's blueprint, his commands for life? Or do you treat the Bible as a book of suggestions meant to be lived out in ages gone by, but not today? Like Josiah, do you have a hunger to hear God's now word to you, to understand the relevance of the Bible's contents to your everyday life, and to hear God's perspectives in your life situations? Or do you practically attempt to keep God from getting too close because he, what, what he might say or what he might ask of you? Again, however you might currently answer those questions that I just asked, God says to you today, Turn toward me. Well, Josiah demonstrated a heart turned toward God through his zeal for corporate worship, by his reverence of God's word, and thirdly, by repenting from sin. Josiah didn't just listen to God's word. He responded to it in obedience. He recognized through hearing God's word that some big changes were needed in his life and in the life of the people. Josiah responded to God's word by going on a rampage, a holy rampage. He declared a holy war against any practice that God prohibited in his word. Listen, I, I'm going to read some of this. There's a long passage. I'd encourage you later today, go and, and uh, open up 2 Kings 22 and 23. Read both chapters and you'll get the whole flow of the story of Josiah's life. But listen to this. And the king commanded Hilkiah, the high priest and the priest of the second order and the keepers of the threshold to bring out of the temple the Lord all the vessels made for Baal, for Asherah and for all the host of heaven. He burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields of the Kidron and carried their ashes to Bethel. And he deposed the priest whom the kings of Judah had ordained ordained to make offerings in the high places at the cities of Judah and around Jerusalem. Those also who burned incense to Baal, to the sun and the moon and the constellations and all the hosts of heaven. And he brought out the Asherah from the house of the Lord. These were idols in the temple. Can, you can't, we can't hardly conceive of that. 
He brought from the house of the Lord outside Jerusalem to the brook Kidron and burned it at the brook Kidron and beat it to dust and cast the dust of it upon the graves of the common people. And he broke down the houses of the male cult prostitutes who were in the house of the Lord where the women weave hangings for the Asherah. And he brought all the priests out of the cities of Judah and defiled the high places where the priests had made offerings. And he goes on and on and on. He said he got rid of all the spiritists, all the mediums, everything that had to do uh, with the, with, with the occult. And he goes on and on. He said, I'm not going to leave any stone unturned when it comes to sin in my life or in the life of my people. God's word had recalibrated Josiah's heart. We just skipped ahead here, Hubert, to the end of the scripture passage there. His heart was turned toward God. Josiah determined when he heard God's word that he was going to obey the Lord. He was ruthless in destroying any and every vestige of idolatry, false worship, and occult practices. Hard questions coming again. What about you? What about me? Have we allowed God's word to recalibrate our hearts? Or do we take a casual attitude toward practices the world says are no big deal or even normal? You say, Kent, I I don't bow down before idols. I'm not guilty of the kind of idolatry God's people committed in the Old Testament. Brothers and sisters, let's not fool ourselves. Just because the shapes and the names of the idols have changed doesn't mean we are idol free. The worship of Plutus the God of wealth, now takes place at the mall, at the office, on the stock market floor, and in show homes. The worship of Nike, the God of sport, now takes place at the stadium, arena, or in front of the TV. The worship of Eris, the God of violence and war, is worshipped now on gaming machines and screens and living rooms, dens and bedrooms. The worship of Zealous, the God of envy and jealousy, is given wings on Instagram, Facebook, and Hollywood tabloids. The worship of Cirrus, the god of luck, is worshipped on the casino floor, at the racetracks, and at the lotto counter tills. The worship of Aphrodite, the goddess of sexual desire, now occurs in the cosmetic department, on magazine covers, in movies, and proliferates on the internet. Let's make this exploration of modern day idolatry real practical. Again, hard questions coming here, gang. Guys, how do you respond? How do I respond to pornography? Do we turn away from it and to God? Or do you and I give ourselves a free pass to indulge ourselves in worship in front of the computer, in front of the TV, or in front of the phone? After all, it's not really a big deal. Everyone looks at it, right? Gals. Do you skip past the steamy Harlequin romance novels in the grocery store or the ones that pop up on the computer screen? You know, the ones with enough graphic sensual detail to earn an X rating if it was in a video format? Or do you slip them into your cart at the store or click click the online purchase button? Guys and gals, do you hold to the biblical standard that any sexual activity, heterosexual or homosexual, outside of marriage between a man and a woman is sin. Or are you like many professing Christians nowadays who, if they were honest, would say the Bible is out of date and out of touch with life in the 21st century? Do you check your horoscope or do you go to God's word for encouragement and direction? Is your heart turned to God to where knowing and following his son Jesus is the most important priority in your life? 
Or do you give God the leftovers of your time, your money, your energy, and devotion after work, after sports, after leisure have all been satisfied? The questions could go on and on. Why? Because nothing much has changed from Josiah's time. The names of the idols have changed, but the demonic power behind them and the human behavior they inspire have not. Like he did in the garden, Satan still offers us the lie that God is holding out on us, that he wants to spoil our fun, that turning away from God and his past is the only way to experience life to the max. Unlike Adam, Josiah chose to recalibrate his life by turning to God and away from sin. He demonstrated a heart turned to God through his zeal for corporate worship, through his reverence for God's word, and through his choice to repent from sin. Like Josiah, or like he did with Josiah, God is calling us, he's calling you, and he's calling me to recalibrate our lives and to turn to him. You say, Kent, how do I do that? How do I turn to God? Well, you know what my response is? I don't know what you need to do to turn to God. But God does. And if you ask him, if I ask him, he will show you. He will show me. Before we wrap up, I want to share really quickly with you three quick principles that might serve to guide you as you listen for God's voice about how he wants you to turn to him. First principle is this. Where darkness is exposed to light, the light always wins. When darkness is exposed to light, the light always wins. The only way to be free is to expose the darkness within us, to bring it to the light. You say, Kent, where do I start? You you ask God to reveal the darkness inside you. The psalmist prayed, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. A resource that can aid us in identifying unconfessed sins and areas of spiritual compromise is a spiritual inventory, uh, such as the one that I wanted to be holding up right now, but I have, uh, oh, here it is, right here. Such as the one I'm holding up right now. It's entitled Sinventory. I didn't come up with that, by the way. Its purpose is to help believers examine themselves and become aware of areas of darkness within us that we may be overlooking or ignoring. A spiritual inventory like sinventory can help us identify our besetting sins as well as our depth of discipleship and faith. There, there are copies of this, um, of this personal inventory out at the foyer info desk. And, it, and if you're serious about exposing the darkness in your life, I encourage you to pick one up on your way out today and to follow the instructions. I've, I've put an instruction page. The rest of the material is not mine, but I, I believe it could be very helpful. Uh, I want you to know from time to time in my life, I, I use a resource like this um, in my own relationship with God. Number two, the second thing you can remember is this. We can't do it alone. We can't do it alone. We need each other. We need to be honest with one another. We need to confess our sins to one another. We need to encourage and pray for one another. 
and we need to hold one another accountable. And that's a choice that we make or we don't make to allow ourselves to be held accountable. Friends, the prescription for the patient is also the same prescription for the doctor. I choose to periodically bring the dark areas of my life to the light with two dear trusted brothers in Christ. When I do so, it's like a huge weight has been lifted off me. I begin to feel God's forgiveness. As my friends pray for me, I feel God's cleansing. I'm empowered to resist temptation and to walk in obedience. You can experience that same kind of freedom if you will chose to expose the darkness inside you. Number three, we need to take steps to increase our chances of success. Steps like reading God's word, which we've already mentioned earlier today. If you read God's word regularly, you will be empowered to turn your heart toward God. Maybe the Read Scripture app is for you. Maybe it's not. If it's not, just start opening the Bible. Start, start in the New Testament. Start in the book of John. Let God start speaking to you and let, and let, let your heart be turned toward him. Steps like pr- praying daily. Do you have a time set apart in your day to listen for God's voice and to talk to him? Do you participate in special prayer gatherings like Turning Point that we're going to have a week after next where we intentionally and collectively turn our hearts toward God? Praying will help you and me keep our faces turned toward the Lord. Steps like choosing community. Are you in a small group? A place where you can know and be known. A place where you'll be stretched, where you can receive encouragement, be challenged, and find accountability. If not, you're missing out on a key ingredient for success in turning to God. And steps like serving. Are you actively involved in at least one service role here at Hawkwood? You were meant not just to receive from, but to give to the body of Christ. When you and I serve, we're saying, God, you're the master of my time. Your kingdom has the highest priority in my life. Serving in Christ's body is a practical way to turn our hearts toward God. By the way, next Sunday, we'll have a list of serving opportunities here at Hawkwood that are currently unfilled and waiting just for you to step into. Well, what steps do you need to take to position yourself for success? Maybe it's some of these. Maybe it's something totally different. Listen to God and he will, he will show you. Now is the time for spiritual recalibration. As we begin 2020, God is calling you and me to turn away from all other gods, all other loves, all other priorities. Like King Josiah, let us be individuals and a people who turn to God. Let's pray. Father, the, uh, the account of Josiah's life is, uh, is encouraging, and at the same time, it is so challenging. And Father, um, I pray right now that if uh, a spirit of condemnation has worked in any heart today through, through me, through my sharing, that you would just lift it off of people. But God, where there is true conviction that comes from your spirit, I pray for myself and for each person here, that we would welcome it, that we would embrace it even as hard as it can be. Thank you, God, that you discipline those you love. And God, you want us to experience life. You want us to experience life beyond our wildest dreams. Lord, to do that, we have to turn to you. 
So Father, show each of us today, this week, and in the days ahead, what you're asking of us. And Father, help us to receive the grace that you were also offering. Thank you, God, that we don't just have to just strive and try harder. We, we, we have to make choices. But you provide the power that we need through your Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, I thank you right now that even as you have been convicting, you are also coming in this moment to empower each person sitting here in this gathering to be able to respond to what you are asking of us. Father, we look forward to what you have in store. Help us to be individuals and a people who turn to you in Jesus' name. Our prayer teams are coming right now as I'm speaking, and we're going to pray in just a moment and end our service. If you're here today and you have never given your heart and your life to Jesus Christ, you've never uh, received him as your Lord, as the master of your life, the fir- that's the very first step of turning to God. It's placing your faith in Jesus Christ who died on the cross for your sins and who rose again from the dead to give you life. If you're here today and you'd like to take that step or you'd like to talk more about what that means, I'm going to invite you when we're done to come and to uh, speak uh, with one of our prayer teams. Allow them to to chat with you and perhaps pray for you. Um, Perhaps there's something that in the service today that God's been working on your heart and you know you need to deal with it right now. If so, come. God says he gives grace to the the humble, but he resists the proud. If you humble yourself before God, you will experience his his grace in your life. You may have something totally different that's totally unrelated to anything we've talked about. Maybe it's a burden. Maybe it's a a health need. Maybe, um, Maybe there's a need for a job. Whatever it is. Come at when the service is closed and let our prayer teams pray for you. If they're both, both teams are engaged, just wait patiently. And when they're done, then you come on up. Well, I don't know about you, but I've, I rarely have a week where I've been challenged as much personally as I prepared this message today. I want you to know this. Remember, God disciplines those he loves. He loves you. He loves me. He wants the very best, best for us. Let's be a people who trust him and who respond to him and who experience all that he has for us. Would you stand together as we pray? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to gather together as your people and to be in your presence. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to see ourselves, but along with that, God, that you would help us today to see you And Lord, that we would, in seeing you, know that there is hope for whatever situations that we're dealing with, for whatever challenges, for whatever besetting sins we we may uh, be dealing with. God, we rejoice in you and in your son, Jesus Christ. We give you all the praise and glory and thank you that you walk with us this week. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.